Radio. We're very pleased to say that he's joined us in the studio, Daniel Turner, a, a PhD candidate here from Curtin University with the Curtin University Update. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Sorry, I'll turn you on. See, that's oh. how technical I am. <laughs> yeah, that's all good. Thank <laughs> I need you. people like you to tell me what to do. You were on the news this week, weren't you, on the mm. Channel News? Yeah, I Channel 7. How does it feel all of a sudden to be thrown in the spotlight for the work that you're doing and, and for the future? Yeah, no, it's quite amazing and you don't expect it at the start, and especially, you know, growing up, watching the news and seeing the same reporters report to you since you're a kid <laughs> and then seeing them, you know, talk about you and what you're doing is quite a crazy realisation. Well, it's a big breakthrough. It is mm. absolutely huge. Now, just a bit of a background of yourself, if you don't mind, because we're mm. looking about looking for things that are going to happen out in the universe that we're not 100% sure on what's going on out there, but you guys are helping to make it happen for all of us to find out. You were interested in maths and science at a pretty young age, you said. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I grew up in Albany, uh, just south of Perth, and was always, you know, in extracurricular engineering like building solar cars when i was young um starting not starting into about year nine like before transitioning into high school but you're still young yeah (laughs) (laughs) and i was saying earlier your parents must be very proud of you to know oh my gosh daniel's done okay yeah no they're quite (laughs) but even for them but one of the best things about this media and the news that's coming about at the moment is people do struggle to sometimes understand what i do and i struggle to convey it sometimes and you know with it being on the media even my own parents are like have a better understanding now and are more involved in the project and you know that's what um, we appreciate mm. that the fact you can explain it in simple terms because you are talking a different language when we start talking mm. <laughs> science really um and for us that aren't involved now what brought you to curtain um for me always wanted to do engineering and curtain was the practical engineering school where you know you could go and i was in the motorsport team and the rocketry club that Curtin had for a while it's now uh, not a thing but it was really good for these extracurricular clubs where you could do engineering um not not just theory um so that was really what brought me here in the end and you've been here for how long now this would be year number six so i did mechanical mechanical engineering undergraduate which was four years um, and I'm a year and a half into my PhD. Well, people will be taking selfies with you soon. You know that, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> oh, we see. <laughs> Let's talk about the where you went. You went to Germany. How did mm. you get chosen to go there, and what was the actual purpose of it? I actually submitted a cold application to DLR out of nowhere. I was at a conference somewhere over east. I think it was in Sydney. And someone was presenting about the stuff that DLR did, and I just went, "Wow, that looks amazing!" I DLR, tell us what DLR is. DLR is um, Deutschen Laufen Raumfahrtzentrum. <laughs> so so which we wouldn't is, have known that. Yeah, um, that's the German <laughs> translation for German Aerospace Center. I um, understand. Yeah, <laughs> no, I do. Okay, so you just took it a, a chance, and you mm. put in an application. Yeah, I put in a cold application. I didn't hear anything back for two months, and then the head of advanced rocket propellants called me. Um, yeah. And was really interested because we researched very similar things, like new green fuels. Yeah. And we just clicked straight away. And within two months, I was there in Germany, pretty much. So there wasn't a language barrier at first? Well, I was told that everything would be in English. And, you know, looking up online, you see Germany's official business language is English, but it was pretty much entirely German. (laughs) Um, Did you learn German? I learned German... 
I learnt survival German very quickly because no one spoke English in my village because all around the DLR facility, it's in the middle of a forest in um, Baden-Württemberg. It's so regional in case something blows up. Um, so everyone lives in these tiny villages with like a few hundred people in them with not many shops, wow. really basic living. Quite and they, It's mainly farmers who just speak German, no English. Um, wow. And then there's the people at DLR who are, you know, usually can speak English, but they will prefer to communicate in German. So it was a very... Uh, quick i bet you had to learn very quickly yeah. just going back to their isolation for the reason that it if it ever blew up it wasn't going to affect mm. a lot of other people how brave of you and everyone <laughs> else to be there to start with just in case yeah it yeah. is pretty you know a really known propellant is called hydrazine which is used for a lot of spacecraft thrusters and it is so toxic and carcinogenic it will explode if you breathe it in you're like you will get cancer, basically. Oh, my goodness. It's a mutagenic, carcinogenic, um, flammable liquid. So you're completely and covered all the time. There's big tanks of it on site that you just walk past, and every time you walk past, you're like, oh, Oh, wow. heavens. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Did, were you having to be covered all the time? Well, the I specifically work on new green propellants. So part of my PhD is trying to introduce propellants that are safe, that you can Good. use at university, and they're environmentally friendly, and you don't have to wear that stuff. Keep at it, won't you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's sort of the new thing in space propulsion is getting away from all these old nasty fuels that are just yeah. really bad for people and the environment. It certainly sounds it. Yeah. <laughs> we just have to clear this break if that's okay. If anyone has any questions for Daniel, don't hesitate to give us a call, 94841927. We're speaking with Daniel Turner, who's put himself on the map, that's for sure. He's a PhD candidate for Curtin University, and what an incredible breakthrough. We found out that you were spending your time in Germany. You were 12 months there? Six months. Six months, okay. Yeah. Uh, in danger zone, and uh, you were there to change things around so the danger zone became a safety zone mm -hmm. for the future i'm going to let you explain what took place whilst you were there i know you were working on greening everything up mm -hmm. but you found something was very compatible didn't you yes yeah so my two managers uh, who were also like my mentors there were in the process of spinning off the technology the thrusters that developed at dlr into a commercial business to sell them um, and they were using the same fuel as what my PhD is planning to use, nitrous oxide. It's a new green fuel for the space industry. Um, so, yeah, I saw a good synergy between my PhD and their commercial system for a future Curtin mission. Uh, because they're based on the same fuels, you can have one tank that has multiple different engines for doing different stuff. We call it a multi-mode system, so that's really important for spacecraft because you want to minimise size and mass and all those things. In, what does that mean? Why do you want to minimise size? What are you talking about? Um, because you have to fit it on a rocket. You save oh, so okay. much money if you have low mass, low okay. size. On the rocket? Um, yeah. I got you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That is interesting. So being compatible, you saw a green light mm -hmm. and you came up with the idea that you had something that was perfect to fit this? Yeah. How did yeah. it progress? It basically, we were working with commercial companies at the time to spec a propulsion system for Binar Prospector, which is the lunar mission that's been in the media recently. Um, but their system was just so much better. And I noticed that, even though it's, you know, early stages, and I noticed that the synergy with my system would be better than any of the commercial systems that we were looking at for okay. our mission. Um, so I rang Phil, um, the director of SSTC, and was like, this is a 
I think this could be a really good opportunity. Like my two bosses here are building wow. a system that's better that's than the other stuff, I would say. Wow, that's um, that's called collaborating, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a really good collaboration. And you, if you hadn't been there, none of this would have been... Never, yeah. ...discovered. Um, that so was, how, how big is your, dare I say, thruster? Yeah, thruster. <laughs> my thruster's the size of a AA battery. It's tiny. My goodness. Yeah, so it fits goodness. on a spacecraft that is this, a little bit smaller than a small bar fridge or like a few shoe boxes. Yeah. So when I say small, I mean we want it to be as small as possible. Yeah, I can understand space mm. is, is absolutely what you're after, isn't it? Yeah. Keeping yeah. things compact. And the role of it again? Um, the role of mine, so there's, it's for rotating and turning the spacecraft um, when it's going around the moon, but this whole multi-mode synergy thing that we're pushing for means that if the German system fails, my system can kick in for backup and still provide all the propulsion and manoeuvres for the spacecraft. Okay. And that was a big thing because a lot of NASA missions, their propulsion systems have failed in the past year, so they've lost yeah, spacecraft they have, at yeah. the moon. So the facility in the spacecraft, is it there for the actual plan of travel? Is it, mm. I mean, is it planned from, from, from the base here in world in the world or on the ball planet or uh, what do you mean sorry? Well, well i'm sorry you know how you're saying that it, it can travel around the moon or yep. whatever it's going to do how does it how is it programmed to to make that track you know to yeah, do it it's all Gee, that was so bumpy, we, wasn't it? <laughs> basically a rocket pushes us out to the moon yep and then we get to a hundred kilometer orbit um altitude right. and then from there we will Probably for the descent phase where we lower down to the moon, it will either be autonomous um, or the descent stage will probably be manual, so we'll send a command, like fire the thruster for this long. From from Earth? Yeah, lower okay. down by this much. We use massive uh, dishes, okay. um, either like the DSN, the Deep Space Network, or Fugro, or company in Perth is looking at doing lunar remote operations. Gosh, you're mighty. Um, so, yeah, but once it's actually at that low altitude, it will probably have to be autonomous where the spacecraft will recognise how far away it is from the surface and if it's dropping, then it will fire the thrusters. Uh, okay. Now, how long is it going to be up there? We're planning or we're hoping for about a year. Okay. And to bring it back, you've got plans to bring it back? No, to, we no. can't bring oh, it back. Right, yeah, right, so yeah. we'll have a controlled descent to the lunar surface. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sacrificing it. Yes. But yeah. what about the information that it gets whilst it's there? The information will all be sent back. Uh, That's amazing. But if you wanted to build a propulsion system to get the spacecraft back, the propulsion system would have to be massive. It'd have to have a lot of fuel. Okay. So you have to excuse me for not understanding completely, because obviously okay. I'd be doing what you're doing if I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> so to get the information back, how was how it transmitted back? Uh, it's transmitted with traditional radio waves, okay. I guess. Um, so we have big special... Distance. Yeah, it is a big distance. Uh, we have massive dishes on Earth, uh, so Deep Space Network is what NASA use. We have... One of those dishes is actually in Canberra in Australia, and it was instrumental in the Apollo uh, era for uh, communicating to the astronauts and the lunar descent and everything. So that's a massive dish, like 
I don't know the actual yeah. stats, but it would be bigger than 20 metres in diameter or something. Okay. And so we see pictures that have been taken, photographs have been taken from the surface. Mm-hmm. We will plan to it take lows, photos. It lowers down. Does it actually land on the surface or does it hover over the surface? Uh, our spacecraft will be orbiting over the surface at about 10 to 20 kilometres. Oh, okay. Taking... Taking the, magnetometry readings is the... Have you got any idea what we're going to expect to see? So the plan of the mission is to get a high-resolution map of basically what is under the lunar surface, whether that be water or minerals, uh, because we're orbiting so low and we have this really good propulsion system that allows us to orbit so low, we can get a really high-resolution map of what's under the lunar surface, which is really important for NASA and the upcoming Artemis mission where they want to set up bases. I'm trying to imagine what would be under there. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 obviously, the, the main thing people are really looking for is water. Yeah, Because um, there is water or ice in permanently shadowed craters on the moon. It's been Which shown. does indicate... Yeah. There has been or there still is? There still is. Still is. Yeah. What would it mean if there water was to be found what would happen on that surface well what can happen as far as you know our interference sort of thing Mm, it's the main reason people looking for water is for a sustained presence on the surface so for obviously you know making water or growing plants or stuff like that is water's you know obviously used for everything Mm. Um, so you're looking at a habitation there eventually, perhaps. perhaps yeah, so perhaps. that is NASA's goal with this Artemis mission is I think by 2026, I can't remember the exact year, they want people on the moon and they're setting up a lunar gateway that will be like the International Space Station that orbits the Earth but it orbits the moon. Okay. So we can get to and from the surface. Are we looking at people being established there but assuming that that could happen to do scientific research or are we talking about an escape from this planet that's in a bit of a mess at the moment? (laughs) Uh, A bit of both. It's not necessarily (laughs) escape because it's a mess. It's more escape to show that we can do it and provide the foundation of what would be required for multi-planetary space. That's been the whole purpose of space exploration from the start, hasn't it? It's been a big part of it, yeah. um, You weren't born, you weren't even thought of, but I remember looking up at the sky when the man landed on the moon for the first time. Mm. Yeah, In his 50s was just a baby. Look, there's a man on the moon. Mm. You know, so how exciting to be going into that next phase. Yeah. It's an exciting phase. What does that mean now for yourself and for Curtin University? Daniel? Uh, with this, uh, that is, you know, a big goal of Prospector is we work with the US a lot with space stuff in general and if if we can get this mission, um, successfully complete this mission, it would be very useful for NASA and NASA's Artemis program, um, which is massive for the Binar Space Program and Curtin University. Yeah. You know, we've started small, building tiny spacecraft that are 10 by 10 centimetres building everything in-house. We've got so many students, we're growing so much now mm. um, and we're starting to move on to bigger spacecraft in the future. So it's, yeah, it'd be really cool for us. Well, it, absolutely. We're so proud of what's happened here and yourself for coming up with that and being in Germany and mm. living a life of uh, not knowing what's going to happen the next day sort of thing. Mm. Does it mean now that you're going to travel a lot with, the, with this particular project? I'll probably... So the plan is to go back to Germany next year to the same facility and basically by the end of this year I want to finish my thruster design and then go over there to integrate it with them and do a full system test. What are they 
say to you when they just when you came up with what you did and they discovered that it was going to make such a difference i mean they they were really excited to have the prospect to work on a lunar mission for them because these these two guys are big space nerds like you know have <laughs> star wars posters in their office and stuff <laughs> so are they business people or are they scientists they are uh, propulsion engineers oh, uh, right, by okay. heart yeah and that's, a, that's a, business, a business that is a business that they would sell to the united states government or yeah they're oh, aiming right. for the european government um or the european market i should say yeah so yeah they are they they're just so excited to be involved in a, a mission like this. And you must uh, be as well. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Mm. You've got so many years ahead of you too. Mm. Without, without technology at the point that it is today, do you think this would be possible? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, really? Um, but, yeah, it is, as, as you were saying, like it's really cool to have the opportunity to do this in WA where you grow up yeah. and... Even when I was in year 12, this was not an option, like, to be a propulsion engineer in WA. No. Uh, so it, it's all just starting, and it's quite exciting. Have you got in touch with the teachers that you used to be at primary school with in high school? So. Not, not yet, but... <laughs> I think they might be after you. Yeah, yeah, we see. <laughs> that is just so exciting. Um, I only wish I understood completely the language of universe uh, and everything. It's just just mind-boggling. And ha- when do you think this might start to form? Are we looking years ahead or...? The mission? Yeah. Yeah, we're sort of planning for the late 2020s. Um, probably like a 26, 27. It's not that far away when you it's think about it. It's not that far no. away, yeah. So we're launching our next three spacecraft uh, in the start of next year. Have you got the thruster ready? The the model? The thruster's at a point, it, there's prototypes ready. Yeah, that's uh, what I was yeah, yeah, there are prototypes, but I still have another, I would say, six months to a year to finish it. Are you working on it here at Curtin? Yes, working on it here, yeah. Okay. You haven't got that toxic material here at Curtin, have No, you? no, this is the really safe fuel. <laughs> but I've spent close to a year now working on the test bench to make sure it's safe because, uh, yeah. you know, Curtin has it's fantastic. R- really good safety policies. Um, so, true. yeah. Very, very true and very comforting. Congratulations. We're all very proud of you for obvious reasons and we'll be hearing and seeing from you, um, seeing you a lot more in the future, I would imagine. Interviewed by news ju- journalists that you grew up with. There you go. <laughs> You've made it, mate. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Daniel, thank you so much. Daniel Turner. Radio.